Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is the future of mobility and manufacturing with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in the automotive and industrial manufacturing industries and supporting ecosystems, and help them move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to help make the world a better place, it's time to run and drive with the Game Changers. This is the place to be because this is where the best drive, I'll say that. So this is one of our longest running shows and we're very happy to be here. And there's a code for my listeners. Sometimes I say, welcome, welcome, welcome today. I should have said, welcome, welcome. Two, that's a clue. So let's see what the question on the table is today. The buzz is from a car conference happening later this year. We're already at the end of October, so it's coming up soon. And they had a question on the table for what they're going to be talking about at this conference. Here's a question. How has the pandemic crisis changed automotive decision makers thinking around preparedness, global integration, and handling the unknown unknowns, and that's in quotes, of the global economy. Big questions for automotive, huge. So let me give you a little more background and then I will welcome my guests. So from a global pandemic to major trade and manufacturing disruptions, 2020, I'm just going to say, sigh, oh my, what a year it's been, has turned out to be one of the most unexpected and most challenging years I think, ever for the automotive industry, as well as so many other industries around the globe. Most significant, unthinkable. The unthinkable happened. Production lines came to a full stop. It didn't even happen in the Great Recession, but it happened this year. I think it was 45 days. My panelists will confirm that. No cars made in the U.S. in 45 days. What's going on with the world? Those in the industry now have a special appreciation, a new appreciation for what we will lightly term the frailty of international supply chains because they are, as well as the need to safeguard their workers' health. Didn't really think about it in those terms before. What does the near future hold? What does the far future hold? Will the case megatrends, I'll refresh your mind, C is for connected, A is for autonomous, S is for shared, and E is electric, C-A-S-E, still impact mobility? I like to say, will new speed bumps, detours, and potholes be on the road ahead for the industry? Excuse me, Bill and Rick, I had to add that to the opening. We'll ask Rick Varner and Bill Newman, both good friends, both wonderful panelists, been on many times before for their expert insights as they take stock and look ahead to 2021 and beyond. I can't wait for the new year. Rick and Bill, welcome. Let me have you each introduce yourselves. Rick Varner, you're up first. Rick, talk to the audience in case they're Three people who don't remember you. Shame on them. Rick, oh, tell, us, tell us who you are, what you're doing these days, and what's your passion for the topic. Rick. Thank you so much, Bonnie. It's, uh, and thank you for inviting me back. It's always a pleasure to be with you. Listen, as you know, I'm an automotive guy. I live here in Detroit. I've been in this industry for 35 years. You know, as a newly minted engineer, I started working at GM Research back in the 1980s. Don't do the math on that one, right? And over the years, I've had the privilege of uh, leading as chief information officer at a couple of different auto firms. You know, currently as a confidential mentor at Gardner, I've also had the privilege of working with a number of executive committees and boards across multiple industries. You know, I've seen a lot. And honestly, these leaders uh, driving success and realizing their vision is just really what gets me excited Over time, I've seen a lot of different uh, business and technology inflection points, some of which I honestly didn't really recognize when they were happening. But I guess, you know, the benefit of spending a career in technology does give you a little perspective. 
As a result, I believe now is one of those inflection pivot point times. In the auto sector, the convergence here of mobility and autonomy, along with customer expectations and the introduction of new players are really creating some exciting conditions for change and really uh, kind of creating a whole new markets. I know there's challenges. Look, we've got economic cycles, we've got this pandemic, we've got a number of new skill sets we got to get after. And frankly, we got some clock speeds I think we need to address as well. But as a tech leader, this, this is really exciting stuff, I got to tell you. You know, in my experience, what I've seen, what manifests in the auto sector quickly migrates to other industries. So I firmly believe that the models we create here, this emerging mobility and autonomous, this is really going to uh, set the stage for tremendous scaling across multiple industries. So I'm excited to be on the show and really help nudge these topics along, Bonnie. Thank you very much. Thank you, Rick. Always glad to have you on. And I have to say to our next guest, Bill Newman, Bill, how could we ever do any automotive show without having you nearby, <laughs> either on the screen, and we are on Zoom, we're live, and I have the privilege and the pleasure of looking at these two gentlemen. And I call this, Bill, Nuanced Radio, where I can, instead of just listening for the nuances of, is he done speaking? What's he? Is he asking a question? Is he done? Am I going to step on his toes if I say something? Now I get to see you think and see you speak, and it's wonderful. So, Bill Newman, you're on so many shows with me. You're probably my most frequent guest on all of my series in the course of this calendar year, 2020. So Bill, why don't you share a little wisdom? I'm going to say in case there's point, I've never said this before, in case there's 0.5 people in the world who don't know who you are, shame, shame, shame on them. Bill Newman, reintroduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what's your passion. We're talking 2020, 2021 and beyond. Huge topic. Are you optimistic? Bill Newman, welcome back. <laughs> well, thanks, Bonnie. And uh, really wonderful introduction. And I just want to say how nice it is to have uh, Rick Varner join us again after uh, so many years. So uh, Rick and I have had the pleasure also of working together both uh, in his previous roles and with Gartner. And uh, really, really nice to have you join us, Rick. So thanks for being here today. Uh, you know, it, it's an interesting time. Um, so for listeners who maybe bounce around your different platforms, Bonnie, and have had a chance to hear us speak together. Um, my name's Bill Newman. I'm North American Chief Industry Executive Advisor at uh, SAP. In my uh, current role, I work uh, principally with uh, business executives in the automotive and related fields, um, mm -hmm. trying to understand what new capabilities, innovations they want to drive, uh, you know, bringing IT and business together, which is often uh, very challenging, uh, particularly in these times. And uh, one of the things that, uh, you know, gets me excited uh, being not just a car guy, but also an airplane guy and having been involved in a number of other industries is just really how, how everybody really has come together. And specifically in the automotive industry, the, the tremendous response at scale uh, that the automotive, the automakers and the supply chain have have done. Um, you know, we, I think some of your listeners may catch us on our OESA podcast, Bonnie, mm -hmm. and they've been very forthcoming about their supplier barometers 
and uh, really call to action when there was, you know, when we were still in lockdown earlier in the year and they were doing estimates in terms of uh, uh, recovery volumes based on four, eight, 12 and 16 week uh, lockdowns. And as you mentioned at the outset of the show, Bonnie, we've never done this before, mm-hmm. right? You know, even back in the 08, 09 recession and in fairness, about 20% of the automotive supply chain never stopped uh, making vehicles because they were deemed essential. Uh, there was a lot of work still going on in the ag and commercial off-road space. I don't know if anybody's gone on a road trip this summer, but the roads are amazing. I mean, there's just so much fresh <laughs> pavement out there. I, I, It's like you woke up, you crawled out of your house and you got in the car and there was like really incredible roads from California to Michigan. Um, so it, it's been really, uh, really incredible in terms of what we've been able to do. And even though the lights did, did nearly dim all the way out, it, 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 they didn't completely go out. Um, so as we go into today's show, I really do want to make a special mention and thank you to everyone, both essential and non-essential workers um, that have helped not only this, the automotive uh, makers continue to do what they do best, uh, but also all manufacturers and, and in, including also those support uh, people in the um, health and medical industry and all the people who are making really tough decisions about you know what we should do as a population to to make sure that uh, you know we take care of each other during this time. So I'm excited to be here. 2021 can't come here soon enough. <laughs> and I'm really excited to talk about what that might look at uh, today's show. Thank you. Thank you, Bill. And thank you, Rick. I have a, a quick sidebar here to tell both of you. I have a Monday night show where I interview all, creatives. It's called Cool Conversations with Creatives. Um, Read My Lips is the name of my show. I've been doing it a long time. And I give a countdown of the number of days left in the year. And my mantra is last night I was on, today's a Tuesday, it was Monday. And I think I told them that there was today, as of today, there were 63 days left to the end of the year. And I say to my listeners, if you want something special to drink, and Lord knows we all need something special this year to celebrate New Year's Eve, get thee to a liquor store or a wine store or a still or a bathtub, making your own gin quickly because everything is going to be gone any minute now. Everything good is going to be off the shelf. So we just can't wait. Bill, I have a question for you and Rick before we get started with your opening quotes, which are a lot of fun. Were you shocked that car manufacturing, that the, the assembly lines, the factories really actually shut down for even a day, much less 47 days? Let me start with Bill and then Rick. Were you shocked that it had to come to that? Well, given what we didn't know at the time and given how unprepared we were for what we didn't know, um, it it was really shocking. Um, uh, From a personal experience, I was actually, and I obviously can't name names due to confidentiality, but I was actually with one of our customers um, uh, the week or two prior to uh, the shutdown, and 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 we also had family that had traveled to Asia earlier in the year, mm. and so they were coming back with personal, you know, first person, second person stories about what they were seeing, and 
um, just kind of the flight of travelers coming out of that part of the world to North America because uh, travel was still allowed. And uh, it, we knew something was up. So, I mean, you know, I, I just think prudence is in order. Um, you know, nobody wants to, nobody wants to get ill and nobody really wants to, you know, mm-hmm. get anybody else ill. And, and, and we have some pretty tight, lean manufacturing environments. I mean, you know, those break rooms aren't big. And uh, even in a common flu season, you know, there are still impacts. So we, we knew, we knew enough to know that if it was anything worse than the common flu, that we really should, you know, do some things. And again, thanks to, you know, some of the big nameplate leaders um, in the auto industry. And, and, and I do want to make a special mention to Lear Corporation. They came out very early. Their executive board came out very early with their uh, recommendations for safety and really set uh, a, a standard and a bar uh, throughout the industry. And, and, you know, somebody had to come first and say, this yep. is what we're doing. And, and I really yes. think it was a very appropriate. And again, want to commend uh, our friends at Lear Corporation for that for that work. Thank you, Bill, for the shout out on behalf of Lear. I'm sure they appreciate it, the, the acknowledgement. Rick Varner, thoughts about were you shocked that actually manufacturing really, really came to a halt for that long? Let's go from that perspective. What did you observe? What were you thinking, Rick? Well, I tell you what, Bonnie, in hindsight, it clearly was the right decision to make. <clears throat> but in the, in the moment, it was pretty shocking, I have to say. Yep. And, I, and I, I don't think we really expected it to go that long. But like Bill, I'd also call out Lear. I think they, you know, they took a leadership position and, and took a hard stance on this, which was clearly the right thing to do. And, and I think, uh, you know, all their peers in the industry would certainly echo that uh, as well. No, I think, I think the 45 days was a bit shocking. I, I didn't expect it to go that long. And, you know, I think we were all sort of scratching with, well, what do we know? What don't we know? You know, the, the R-naught on this thing at the beginning was really high. You know, the infection rate, I think we've since now understand it much better. We're still learning clearly. But um, I, think, I think the industry did exactly the right thing. I, as we'll probably get into a little bit in our conversation, mm-hmm. the recovery of this shutdown is still going to take some time in terms of inventories, et cetera. But when you look at it through the lens of worker health care, no question. Right decision. So, no. Thank you. Thank you both for that. The, the show is about mm-hmm. looking back, taking stock, and that's what I wanted to do, the most momentum part, momentous part. But you mentioned OESA, and I have to just give a little level set to our audience who may not be familiar. OESA is the Original Equipment Suppliers Association, and I do a podcast with them, and Bill is a frequent guest. And, and it's off air. It's always on demand. And sometimes we do little roundtables, and sometimes we do brief interviews. So the shows can be as short as 15 minutes or as long as a half hour or more and and uh, it's oesa.org is the company is the organization so thank you for that now let's move to our opening quotes rick varner sent us a quote from actually it's from jim beach i'm going to set up the scene Uh, jim beach by the way was a producer of the band queen in the 2018 film bohemian rhapsody and he was portrayed by tom hollander okay and he's an interesting guy he was jim beach and and he was ended up being called miami beach 
Okay, and he he was the manager of the rock band Queen, its members, and even the manager of the comedy group Monty Python. Quite an interesting guy. Still, I believe, alive and well, born in 1942. He's a young kid, isn't he, Rick? Yes, he is. Here's the setting up the scene. Mike Myers plays Ray Foster. Mark these words. No one will play Queen. And Jim Beach, played by Tom Hollander, says, fortune favors the bold. And in Latin, it's fortis, fortuna, Adjuvat, and it is tattooed on the back of John Wick, the character in the 2014 film. And it also happens to be, Rick, the motto for the 3rd Battalion Marine stationed yep. in the Marine Corps base in Kinahoe Bay, Hawaii, where um, uh, Keanu Reeves comes from. So interesting. So, Rick, fortune favors the bold. Talk to me. How does that quote, that wonderful quote, apply to our topic today? Rick. Bonnie, I love it that you've challenged us on these, on these quotes. But yes, fortune favors the bold. Uh, and in fact, it's the model for a number of different military units around the world. So I, I've always liked this one. You know, the, the common interpretation of this is a phrase that encourages people to do what scares them. And another variation is fortune favors the brave. Uh, you know, it's really, it, it's a little bit more action focused than my other favorite quote from the Boy Scouts of be prepared. <laughs> you know, the way I like to think of it is that now is the time to prepare and more importantly to act with regard to our mobility topic today. Now is the time. Uh, whether you were looking at the automotive economic cycles that are going on right now, this pandemic pause we're sort of living through, or the introduction of new capabilities and players, I believe that now is the time to invest and act. And uh, my colleagues at Gardner would say in racing, you win in the turns. There's certainly a mixed set of signals for us to digest. But if you if you listen carefully, if you plan your options and you act accordingly, I believe the future is very bright, uh, certainly with this topic we're, we're getting into today. However, if we slow down the corners or if we believe that our business clock speed is appropriate for these business opportunities, digital business opportunities that are coming up, I think that'd be a big mistake. The honors industry is already seeing a massive shift towards digital and this mobility and autonomous are certainly part of that. If there's any positive that comes out of the pandemic, it has certainly removed a number of mindset barriers to digital business and some of the things that are, you know, we're advocating in that space. Uh, the question I like to challenge my clients on is, what is your digital ambition? Are you still focused digitizing internally, which is, you know, that's a worthy focus still, or are you now looking externally to your customers and trying to drive new customer experiences, new customer values, new revenue streams? Both ambitions are valid, but as I say, fortune favors the bold. Interesting. And and Rick, I'm thinking the word bold, and I'm thinking what we just talked about, the shutdown of the factories. Fortune favors the bold. The bold was to say, we have things on our, our plates that are not just how many cars can we get out. The bold is we're shutting down and we're going to take our chances. Then the bold was we're going to start back up again because we think it's safer now. We know more. We have more protections, worker safety, and the industry needs us. So bold can be interpreted rather than we're just going to keep doing it no matter what. Bold is is has different me- different means, different measures in different environments and different mindsets. So thank you very much for that. Appreciate that, Rick. And thanks for your kind words about challenging people on the quotes. I, I love the quotes because they get they get my list my listeners to hear how you think as human beings, not just smart people who've prepared notes for the show. It's a different way of thinking. It also engages the audience on a, a cultural level. 
that's nothing to do with the topic. And that's why we use the quotes. And I think it's wonderful. So thank you. You both honored me. Bill Newman sent us a quote. We think from Morpheus. Morpheus in the Matrix, the Matrix 1999 American sci-fi film. Morpheus is a fictional character in the Matrix franchise played by Lawrence Fishburne in the films, in the video game, The Matrix Path of Neo, where he was the only actor who reprised his character's voice. Uh, let's see. Let's see. Kate Keanu Reeves stars in it. Lawrence Fishburne, Carrie Ann Moss, Hugo Weaving, and Joe Pantoliano. And it's the first installment in the Matrix franchise to pick a dystopian future in which humanity is unknowingly trapped inside a simulated reality. The Matrix created by intelligent machines. Oh, the intelligent machines to distract humans while using their bodies as an energy source. Oh, my. Uh, when computer programmer Thomas Anderson, under the hacker alias Neo, uncovers the truth, he's drawn into a rebellion against the machines with other people who've been freed from the Matrix. So here is the quote. Bill, this is the quote I found, the actual one, even though it's not quite where you wanted to go. You can reinterpret it. So the quote is, if real is what you can feel, smell, taste, and see. The real is simply electrical signals interpreted by your brain. Bill, let's have some fun with this Morpheus quote. What does it mean for our topic? Yeah, so a uh, big fan of the Matrix franchise, uh, you know, having a Mr. Anderson moment. Um, <laughs> Uh, so, you know, we're going to talk, I think, today around, you know, the experience of not only uh, folks that are working today, but I think also in terms of, you know, folks like uh, the three of us on the call and, and listeners who, you know, are, are going to still drive, consume transportation, still build things, uh, still use things. And so I think it really comes down to, you know, what, how do we view our experience? Because, Certainly coming out of this pandemic, we're all going to have a much different or perhaps reoriented lens. You know, as I like to say, the pandemic has accelerated any trend, big or small, uh, largely to what end state it was already on trajectory for. Mm. So, you know, whether, um, you know, companies were looking to do something or not do something or uh, people were interested to um, do things they've never tried before, like make a lot of sourdough bread or, you know, <laughs> get that sport recreation vehicle instead of taking the family trip to Europe. Um, you know, that's really what they've been doing. And uh, I, I think that um, in some cases it's provided a lot of opportunity but, you know, we, we've had kind of this moment of reckoning where we were all kind of in the boat together globally. And I don't really know in history, I'm not a history major, so there's probably a listener or two that could probably answer this question for me. But outside of, outside of global conflicts, you know, in, in what you know, we would normally call peacetime, I'm not so sure we've had a global experience like this, mm -hmm. you know, even, even in a rolling basis Ever? I don't know. You know, maybe since, you know, some crazy weather event when the dinosaurs were still around. I mean, we really don't know. So that's really a unique moment. And I think kind of bringing it back to the topic today, um, people are going to be looking at um, things through this new lens with a different type of environment. And yet they will all be demanding whatever experience, whether it's at work or at home or recreationally, um, that is best suited for them. And I do think if one thing is certain, they will insist upon having those experiences be met. 
um, in its entirety, or at least that's their goal. Uh, I don't think that we're at a place anymore collectively where people will, will any longer settle um, just based on what we've all gone through together. And I think the expectations are going to be tremendously high. And that's up to all of us that build product that, that support our customers who do um, that, um, you know, care for people who come into work and who, who sell our products. So um, that's really at the core of where I was trying to go with the whole, um, the matrix thing. And uh, it, it really is, a, it is a different lens, much like uh, Neo discovered when he was, um, you know, had his awakening moment in, in the first installment of the franchise. Thank you, Bill. Very interesting comments. We talk about the normal, the new normal, the next normal. I call it the next abnormal. I don't know. I, one of my favorite phrases is the French catchphrase, plus I change, plus LMM shows. The more things change, the more they stay the same. Well, not anymore, really. I think that one went out the window. I have to get a new one. But I'm thinking that if we talk about the new reality, Bill, instead of the new normal, Let's get rid of normal, abnormal, supernormal, subnormal. Let's talk about the new reality. Maybe that, reflecting on Morpheus's conundrum or, or pensive moments in the movie, The Matrix, maybe we should be looking at the new reality. I think we're onto something here, gentlemen. I think we're onto something here. We're going to talk about the new reality, new realities. And reality is, of course, subjective, believe it or not, right? Reality is is our own lens and the lens of what we together. And Bill, by the way, you mentioned sourdough bread. Did you know there was a massive, at least U.S. shortage of yeast in the beginning? Yes, the yes, I was aware of this. That's how and, we couldn't get in. And yeah. I had five <laughs> packets of yeast in my fridge and I offered to sell it to people, but I looked online to validate it. And apparently a, a packet of a one pound packet of yeast was going for $200 on eBay and other sites talk about price counting. Uh, just just to jump in, it's crazy. You know, there's actually been in some parts of North America a, a physical cash shortage because we're wow. just not out moving physical mm -hmm. coins particularly. We're just not out moving cash yeah. around. You just sit there and like, how did any of this happen? Because we were kind of a fine-tuned running machine. And, you know, like they like to say, you know, you don't know you're on top until you're not anymore. And... Uh, we always, talk, always talked about money being dirty, you know, the physical coin, right. the paper money, who touched it? And now we're, I don't want to give you a quarter of a dime is change. And, yep. and the, the cashier in the, in the place wherever you're going is behind a plexiglass shield and you have to put the money in a little thing and you're, maybe you're wearing gloves and you're going to wash your hands with sanitizer before you touch the money. Everything has, it, the lens is so much sharper yeah. now on yeah. our reality. Interesting. So let's go move a little more into the future because the part of this show, we've already talked about what was. We've looked back. We've taken stock, I believe, very well. And now we're going to spend the rest of the show, the next half hour, looking ahead. So I'm starting with a statement Rick Varner has sent me in his discussion notes. And we'll go back and forth. Uh, we'll have Rick, why don't you take about two minutes to explain? And then we'll see what Bill said, says. And then I'll pick a statement from Bill. And let's just see what we can cover. We want to give the listeners a good idea of where you each and where you both see things moving as we go into 2021. As I said, it can't come soon enough. So Rick says, the auto industry is cost-cutting triggered by sluggish sales. I'm just going to read that one sentence, Rick Varner, and let you take it away. What are we talking about? Yeah, Bonnie. So we're, you know, there's a lot going on here. And and I tried to very specifically take the lens here on our mobility and autonomous topics. So some of my projections are with that in mind. So the industry itself is, as I think anyone who's paying attention, is cutting cost. Some of it is clearly pandemic related. We recognize that. Um, but I think as well, when we look at the, 
the the boon that the industry's been on for the last 10 years. You know, inventory levels are actually pretty high. And so we're just seeing demand naturally has been diminished anyway as a result of that. Uh, and I think, you know, the, the implications of cost cutting are twofold. One, of course, attention tends to look internal to make sure that, you know, we're running an efficient operation, you know, in, in Bill's business, for example, there's kind of this focus around automation and use of data and we're running you know, SAP solutions quite well. That's legitimate and that's that's certainly occupying a lot of mind share of the OEMs and the suppliers to kind of tighten up their operations. Externally, however, another implication of, of cost cutting is investment. So when we look at things like um, incentives to drive or shape market demand for electric vehicles or investment in autonomous, you know, some of these things around the case topic, uh, I think the pencils are getting a little sharper and we're starting to see a little bit of effect of that. Same for, as we'll probably get into in a minute, around the shared vehicle notion. You know, I think the OEMs are starting to look at that with a little bit of a John Desai saying, is this really where I want to be making my investment right now? given the circumstance of the industry. So I, I think, um, you know, the reality is everybody needs to deal with these economic cycles and the auto sectors by no means stranger to this. They know how to react. They know how to pull mm -hmm. back. But in terms of shaping and making the future, there's always a risk that we're going to slow the future down a little bit. So back to my quote, I would lean into it, but you know, we can talk about that a bit more. Bill Newman, agree or disagree with Rick Varner. You're up. No, I, Rick's bringing up some really great topics, and I just, you know, I, I think it's important to paint that while, you know, there's a, a big aspect on the sell side because, you know, um, incentives have gone up, I don't know, 300%. There was some pretty fantastic uh, free money for eight years if you qualify deals when, you know, we were just starting to crawl back out of the um, – uh, the uh, the lockdown, but uh, I do think that the 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 make side is is really important. And again, I don't want to echo too much on this, but you know, in normal years, we're normally at somewhere around 90, 90% capacity, maybe more if there's over capacity. And the last numbers I saw um, from a couple of different sources, you know, uh, to Rick's point, you know, inventories are starting to rebalance. They're starting to come back. We're we're making at I think about 90 to 95% capacity. So there is a chance that we could claw back a month, you know, out of that mm -hmm. roughly 45 days that we were shut down, but we're not gonna claw it all the way back. Um, and I think also too, that there's um, the aspect that, um, you know, if I'm out of work, you know, any discount is still too expensive. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, as we start to talk a little bit more into this and, and, you know, it's just something that I've observed instead of a V or an L or a U or whatever letter shaped recovery. Uh, unfortunately, I do think that there's a bifurcation in the recovery. And I actually heard the expression, a K shape recovery for the first time about mm -hmm. two, three weeks ago, where for some of us in the tech space and, you know, those of us here on uh, who, who are on this panel who can, you know, operate remotely and, and frankly, who have been, you know, working from home for, mm -hmm. for quite some time and it's yes. kind of, we're used to it. Um, that is an accelerated recovery curve. And for those in the services business and other sports and entertainment and for other industries that perhaps, you know, mass transportation that, that require large populations of people coming together, you know, unfortunately they're, they're still on a downslope right now. And we, we kind of don't know when that's going to be coming back around. So, 
you know, there's there's a lot of balancing to Rick, your point. There's a lot of balancing that needs to happen, you know, and as we, as I like to say, wobble through, mm-hmm. you know, some of these adjustments, um, you know, those corners are going to be even more important. So agree with that completely. Thank you very much. I'm going to move on, Bill Newman. I'm looking at your statement number two. This is interesting. This will intrigue people who like cars. You say the back seat and passenger experience is as important, if not more important, than the front seat driver experience. Bill says he predicts people still buy cars to drive them. Yes, yes, yes. You know I'm a Z fan. You know I'm on my fifth Z. Love them. Tried something else in between and hated it until for five years till I can find a new Z. And uh, by the way, uh, on a daily basis here in Durham on Route 40 and 540. The average speed is between 70 and 80 uh, just at a daytime rate. And when I was in New York and driving on the LIE, you're lucky if you can do 25 because of the traffic on the expressway. So I had to get another car to be able to comfortably do 80. (laughs) Don't drive anywhere anymore. But when I do, 80 is just, you're just up there right away. And it's a whole new driving experience. It's actually more fun. Bill, talk to me about front experience, back passenger experience, driving experience. What are you seeing on the road ahead here? Well, I'm sure I-80 is a lot less uh, congested now, so you can hit those speeds a little easier when you do go out, Bonnie. So I guess that's, you know, I <laughs> haven't seen traffic in a while, you know. It's kind of yep. interesting when you do go out and you go on that yep. road trip. And the roads are all nicely, freshly paved in large yes. part. So, yes. um, you know, it, it's interesting. Um, SAP belongs to, uh, where it's a founding member of the Experiences Per Mile Advisory Council, and we published a paper, the EPM 2030 paper, uh, listeners can download it for free at experiencespermile.org. And there's a, a number of our customers and partners that belong to the consortium, great group of people. And, and one thing remains that, again, despite of who we are, and, and we may be consuming more personally owned transportation now because, again, ride sharing mm-hmm. and public transportation is a little iffy still. And yeah. um, so a lot of people are buying cars for their own personal use and they have more disposable discretionary income for those on the top part of that K recovery that are doing well to be able to afford that because they're not traveling, taking family vacations, et cetera. So I, I think that's, that, that is good from that because that, that was a trend that we were starting to see actually taper a bit. Um, but in terms of consuming transportation, you know, we've, we've had many conversations about what is the experience and, okay, great, total traditional driver experience. Bonnie, you like to drive, Rick, you like to drive, Bill likes to drive here. So, I mean, we all like driving vehicles and we'll, we at our, I don't know, point in our lives probably will always have a car that we can drive. But in normal times, when we get to this new reality, um, we have a lot of options on the table. And frankly, you know, there are a lot of people that are with us that aren't driving. And so, you know, there are um, nameplates and and suppliers that are building their product to to, um, fit very, very nicely to what do you do when you aren't driving. My wife and I actually took a trip to northern Michigan uh, earlier in the year, and uh, we she had a rental. Don't get me started. Took five weeks to get a replacement <laughs> part. The wobble continues. Uh, and we were in a different um, trim model of her original car. And we hit a couple of buttons with all the gadgets because we're gadget people. And all of a sudden, we started getting a serious shiatsu massage going on in the chairs. <laughs> and not just my – she was driving. So not just my chair is the passenger, which I thought was totally cool, right? I'm just going to put on my headset. 
Spotify my way out. I'm just going to have a moment. But her started as well. And as a driver, she was not, you know, she's like, whoa, what's going on? Right. So um, as a driver, that was uh, a little, uh, that was an experience that she wasn't expecting. Um, it was a good experience. I think that um, had she been able to go what they call level five autonomous and take her hands off the wheel and kind of sit back and maybe keep the eyes on the road. Maybe not. I don't think we're quite there yet, but mm -hmm. you know, in the future, that's the state that we're going to be looking at. Um, you know, so whether you want to do gaming in the car, you want to watch a movie, you want to get a massage, you want to go online shopping or, you know, what have you, these are the kinds of things so that everyone feels engaged. And now you start to look at, you know, mobile workspaces and, you know, this whole idea of, you know, rear facing, you know, joystick kind of operated autonomous vehicles that are more like pods and less like cars. And we can have a long philosophical conversation around whether that's good or bad, but that's really where it's going. And they're all equally important because everybody has buying power. And that's one of the findings of the study. Thank you, Bill. I'm, I think we're still listening, thinking about the Shiatsu massage while your that wife is driving. Else. And the yeah. question is, is the car vibrating or am I? <laughs> so many implications to that. We're not even going to go there. Uh, we, we could do a whole show on this. Rick, why don't you briefly respond, agree or disagree, or ask Bill a question, and then I have, I'm going to tee up your statement number four, Rick. But Rick, go ahead. Talk to Bill for a second, please. Yeah, oh, oh, great, Bonnie. Yeah, I, I, I agree. These, these uh, value-added services, whether it's massage or, or other items, uh, I think are certainly top-end appeal items. I, I'd sort of maybe uh, partially agree and partially disagree. I think at the end of the day, people buy a vehicle for some purpose. It's maybe transportation, it's a lifestyle issue, and if you're, if you're in our segment, maybe it's more about comfort. If you're in my son's segment down there in Durham as well, it's about lifestyle, and he's buying a car to meet his outdoor lifestyle. So I think, you know, that, that still reigns true, certainly as a principal issue. These add-ons, however, add-on comfort, add-on features, I think they're the, they're the tweak that really makes the difference to say, well, I could have my stripped-down Jeep or I could have my stripped-down Jeep with my foot massage. Okay, wait a minute. You know, for the same <laughs> price, why wouldn't you, right? So I agree with Bill. I think there's some really exciting stuff coming. Couple that as well with things that go on maybe – on the peripheral and outside the car, we start adding in maybe these mobility services, this notion of, hey, I'm, 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 I'm zipping down outside my state and I'm zipping through the toll road that I don't have a little speed pass for, but now my car is smart enough to, to say, hey, look, Rick, you're on the Illinois toll road. You don't have an Illinois toll road agreement. Would you like me to register you and get us set up while we're driving? Wow. Of course, car. Thank you. I accept. Let's go. I mean, I'm making that up, but I think it's not That's too okay. far out of the realm here. Yeah. And, yeah. And, the, and the reality is, I think there's a lot of, you know, value-add services around mobility that we just haven't really comprehended yet that are really going to be driver delight services uh, as we go forward. I like the idea of driver delight. What an interesting concept. And by the way, my Z cars make me happy. <laughs> when I come out of the supermarket, which is one of the only places I go these days once a week, after my drum lesson, by the way, that's one of the only other places I go on Saturdays because the supermarket is right in the same shopping center as the music store, okay? One-stop one shopping, literally. I want to come out. I want to see my car in the parking lot. Wanna, I want to say, wow, that's my car. I like looking at it. I like driving it. I like sitting in it. I like using it. And it makes me happy. And that's still 
that's still part of the reason why I own cars because they just make me feel good. Look, look what I have. It's beautiful. And that just feels really, really good. And it's a gorgeous car, by the way. Let's move on. Rick Varner. I'm looking at statement number four. This is provocative. You say digital dragons are moving in. I'm not even going to attempt to unpack that. I'd like you to. Rick, talk to me. What are we seeing here? Yes, indeed, Bonnie. So, you know, as we as consumers of digital, particularly our, our phones or maybe our, our Alexa in our house or whatnot, we're, we're setting expectation for how easy technology is supposed to be used and how usable it is with regard to our daily lives. You know, we don't think anything of whipping up our phone and open up the weather app or looking at the map saying, well, you know, how do we get from here to here to there? I think that the experience to date with some of these mobility capabilities specifically within the, the automotive experience has been a bit lacking. You know, I think that the OEMs have really tried and they've, they've made a couple different runs at it. What's happening though is customer demand, customer expectations for digital dexterity to make things very easy to use are beginning to prevail here. So what we're starting to see, for example, Digital Dragons, Google, for example, we're starting to see more of the Android operating system being dropped into cars. We're starting to, you know, start to see with Volvo and, um, you know, FCA with Renault and GM. So we're, we're starting to see, you know, Google Android type interaction and interfaces in the cars, much like we certainly expect if we have a, a, a Google phone or an Android phone. So that's, that's one example of that. Uh, it is well, we're starting to see the emergence of uh, Amazon's uh, Alexa and uh, per, you know, virtual personal assistant capabilities being applied to the automotive sector. And again, this, this notion of you know, voice-driven, hey, Alexa, could you please arrange for a reservation for me at whatever? Sure, you could do that on your phone, but now native to the car, these things are beginning to emerge among other things as well. And then when you look um, really outside the vehicle, not you know, sort of take our lens from the, the car itself to more of the macro um, ecosystem, we're starting to see much more greater consumption of you know, Microsoft's Azure, Amazon's uh, web services, even IBM with regard to sort of backend hosting of some of the vehicle data. And preparing for you know capturing vehicle data, monetizing that me or putting it up to neutral servers and monetizing that vehicle data, so the industry is beginning to get ready for this very intensive data interaction with the vehicle in a broader ecosystem, and of course these cloud services like Azure and AWS are becoming part of that. So when I talk about digital dragons, you know Google, Amazon, Microsoft, among others. Uh, it's very evident that they've become an even greater part of the auto industry here. Thank you very much. Bill Newman, Digital Dragons. What do you see? Are we scared of them? Are we welcoming <laughs> them? Are they, are they New Year's type of dragons? What do you see? Well, I, th- I think, you know, Rick brought up a really good point around um, external use of the data. And we're still trying to figure out also, just so listeners are aware, you know, who owns the data. So, mm-hmm. you know, it, 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 we still kind of operate, at least in North America, under the golden rule that if you make the vehicle, you own the data. Um, and that data is being monetized. So, you know, not it's not just vehicle diagnostics. And I let you know when you need an oil change and you need to go. And if you go to this dealership or service repair, you you get a coupon. 
you know, you can opt in now for insurance discounts, you know, uh, in the not so distant future, last mile, first mile trucks can opt in for, you know, the, where they want to get a parking spot, you know, for delivery. So hopefully there's less congestion on city streets. Um, there's a lot of vehicle data there that has um, a great monetary value to it. Mm -hmm. And uh, we are, we're coming up with more and more ways now as we're able to connect vehicles to things or vehicle to everything. I think some of the suppliers have used V2X mm -hmm. um, and infrastructure, you know, as we do more of that and as more things are able to be connected, um, there's going to be, you know, some micro costs associated with that. And those fractions of pennies add up to billions and billions of dollars. Um, and it's not just us here saying that, but McKinsey and others. So that's really where the future goes. And I think it's a question of how we want to opt in, at least currently. But in the future, will we, we be able to opt out of our vehicle information being shared? And then who's really going to own that information? So stay tuned on that. Bonnie, can I add to that just sure, a, a please, little bit? Rick, so uh, this opt-in, opt-out, I think there's there's as well a regulatory framework that we need to bear in mind. We've got this new GDPR as a general data protections regulation rule. rule yeah. Thank you. Mm -hmm. yep. Yeah, which now means that the driver has to explicitly say, "I am I'm allowing you to use my data." So the vehicle data for sure, Bill. But now it's the fact that I'm parked in front of a liquor store or beauty salon or whatever, yep. you know, all this sort of personal related inference data around my experience with the car and where I'm at and what I'm doing. Interesting things to emerge, but it's, it is a very exciting future, I believe. Yeah. And if I could just add on yeah. that, so listeners get a touch point on that, you know, it's the same thing with location-based services with your phone. Mm -hmm. Doesn't matter who makes it, you know, you can opt out. Otherwise they are tracking where you are. So, and that is the default setting on your phone. Um, so just so listeners are aware, uh, at least in North America, particularly in the United States, we are in an election year in case you missed that memo. Um, and Congress is having a conversation around uh, whether or not they should, uh, go down that framework mm. of uh, GDPR for here in, in North America as it relates to automotive data. And there are a number of uh, industry trade groups who have had uh, hearings, uh, particularly in the Senate. You know, all that's going to get parked, pardon the pun, for mm -hmm. now. And when the new Congress comes in session in early 2021, that is a topic that they will take up. So having a GDPR in North America, particularly in the United States, for the car data is coming. We don't know yet what it's going to look like and what that means for consumers yet. Good point, both. And I want to bring up that I believe if, if I'm representative of, of any part of the population, I, I don't know if I am on any levels, but when I watch uh, the, the procedurals, the police dramas, the legal dramas on TV, which I enjoy, and I see a, a, an investigator, a detective, a squad saying, oh, we know he went through that toll. Oh, we saw that, that uh, her car was on the interstate and, or there's a CCTV in mm. front of that building. We're not aware of how much of our information is out there. It mostly sounds like it's coming, if it's portrayed in the dramas accurately, it's mostly coming from cameras that we don't know are posted on the corner of a building, corner of a street, underneath a stoplight. But we're not even... Even I don't think we even understand, as the two of you are talking about, how much data about us is available to 
whom? To someone, to where? I don't think people get that there is data, location data, tracing data. Oh, contact tracing. No, don't do that. Well, it's already, people know where you are. They know yeah. who you are. I don't, and, and the old, what's the old phrase, Bill and, and Rick? Uh, what's the point? Uh, the horse is already out of the, close of the barn door, the horse is already out of the barn. Yeah, yeah. Do, do we have, do we exist? And, and I heard a couple of years ago, many years ago, that if you don't have a presence on, let's say, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, now it's Insta, now it's Etsy, wherever you want to be, you don't exist as a person in our digitalized and digital world. Well, everybody does in some small way, even if it's your obituary in a local newspaper wow. Wow. or that gets posted online. Let's move on. We have a little bit of time left. Uh, Bill, I'm going to your statement number four. Here's something. I don't think we've discussed this yet. You say the new concierge experience around mobility has been accelerated by the pandemic. Bill, please unpack this for me. Well, again, it comes back to this idea of new lens, right? So, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and so many processes, whether we're buying or making or, or selling, buying vehicles are, we want it to be touch free because, you know, pandemic. Um, so, you know, dealers have gotten very creative, you know, typically reserved for some of the up brands in, you know, a portfolio pretty much for every vehicle now, um, you know, you're getting a, a video tour of a car at a showroom. You don't have to show up. It can all be done uh, via, via video call. Um, Bonnie, you want the new Z? Well, you can go to the showroom and can have a look around. And as your dealer, I'll have somebody, you know, basically drop that car off, sanitize it for you. And instead of having, you know, a quick drive up and down the highway as your test drive, typically you're getting seven days, no problem, you know, just like a short-term rental, chances are you're going to keep that car. And oh, by the way, you know, being able to pick up your car at your house and bring it in for servicing, again, touch-free. So these are the new realities that we've created because of the pandemic, But these concierge-like experiences are new for a lot of people. And guess what? They really like them. And they, they enjoy that level of service and they enjoy that level of handling, even if they're part takes five weeks to get in to, to replace, they're, they're Mm -hmm. still being uptreated. And I do believe that there's a certain level of service and I think it's going to extend. I'm interested to hear what Rick you have to say about this. I really do think it's going to extend far beyond just the purchase of things. I think we are going to want to be treated more kindly with greater service. Um, I think that's just kind of not only where expectations are with some of the, you know, Amazon boxes being dropped all over the place and the Mm -hmm. concierge service experiences. But I really do think that that's where our psyche as as a consuming population is moving to. Yeah, Bill, I I completely agree. In fact, I'll just record what I said a moment ago about this notion of digital dexterity, ease of use. Our experience now is is, is expected to be pain free. So, you know, this, this notion of um, you know, the experience of mobility, and you know, I, I gave a little example of going through the, the toll road or whatever, or the car, you know, uh, calling the, your favorite restaurant as you pull up to, to text the restaurant that, hey, I'm here for my pickup. Great. I, th- I think that if you think about it in terms of your local market, you sit in, you know, in California or in Durham or wherever you're at, you you can set your car up and get it all configured. Now, the scenario where I'm now driving from Detroit to Chicago, 
but I want these mobility services to kind of travel with me. So the parking app that worked in Detroit may not be the same parking app that works the same way in Chicago. So I do think that, for example, there's going to be an expectation of ease of use. Hey, I, I set up the parking app to work in Detroit. Mm-hmm. I don't care what it is for Chicago. I want my car, I want my mobility services to be smart enough to kind of reconfigure themselves as I travel. And so this notion of a, of a service aggregator or a business aggregator, I think, will be another level of, of, of service that comes. And frankly, from a customer interaction perspective, we may shift the relationship from an OEM relationship to this higher level relationship that I'm dealing with. I will make up a company, XYZ, as my car experience because they're managing all of my experiences, mobility and vehicle related on my behalf. So, yeah, I agree, Bill. I think there's a lot of interesting things that are coming up. Interesting. We're going to go to our crystal ball predictions round, but a quick comment to both of you. When I bought my newest Z, I I like to buy them used, so they have some miles on them, and and they're they're very roadworthy, and and I know they're broken in just enough. Uh, This is a brand-new neighborhood where I live, and it wasn't on the GPS that was built into the car, the software in the car. And I was told it would cost me about $300 to update the app. And I said, are you out of your mind? So if I need to go anywhere, I have the phone on the seat or on a mount, and I use the GPS on the phone because it's always current. Why, in, in the era bill, in the era of, of concierge services, why would I want to pay to have a static app on my car? So if you go to the map on my car GPS, my neighborhood doesn't exist. You can come within about a mile and a half, but you can't get here off of Route 70, Rick, Route 70 in Briar Creek and TW Alexander. It doesn't exist. So anyway, I'm, why would I pay to have that ever? <laughs> we have to move to that kind of, yes. Yeah. So uh, let's do, actually, we have 60 seconds each for predictions. What a great conversation today. Rick Varner, you're first. Give me an overall prediction. Where are we going? Let's focus on 2021. What will be the new reality for automotive? Rick Varner, you're up. Crystal ball, go. Yeah, but no problem. You know what? Our segment today was mobility and manufacturing. So I thought, I knew we were going to talk about mobility and those related things. I'm going to pivot a little bit and just talk about manufacturing, give the listeners something in that space. Not sure about 2021, but by year in 2024. Okay. Uh, We're expecting 30% of our manufacturers to have changed their business models compared to only 10% from before the pandemic. In other words, the pandemic has just accelerated this change, including the business models themselves. I talked about business aggregators briefly in the last segment here. I think that by 2024, we'll see at least one, if not more, of these aggregators emerge. And I think they're going to start to be kind of the top line thing that we're talking about, not just the little niche apps, but... These, these folks that are, are organizing these mobility services for us. Uh, it's already started, but we're going to see a continued acceleration. Certainly by 2025, it'll be normal for OEMs to sell their, their algorithms, their data, and their IoT platforms to help augment their business model to completely. So lastly, uh, 2025, I predict we're going to have a, just under a billion connected vehicles on the road <clears throat> globally. But these vehicles are going to have different levels of capability, and they're going to have to play nice with each other. Thank you. Play nice. Bill Newman, let's play nice. You've got 60 seconds. What's your brilliant prediction today, Bill? Well, I, I want to, first of all, I want to thank you know, both of you for a great conversation today. I think as we look Definitely. ahead, um, as, as we look ahead, you know, uh, I do want to focus on, I think, 
Bonnie, you coined the expression earlier, the, the next reality. And I think the good news for you know listeners today is, is that even though we're working through some things right now, um, you know, studies and research have shown that there are some trends that are just going to continue. And as we said earlier, if not accelerate. So, you know, connected vehicles are probably going to double in terms of uh, the fleet of vehicles that have built-in connectivity or the option of built-in connectivity. Um, level two autonomy is probably going to to be, you know, so like GM Super Cruise and some of the other lane assist devices, that'll probably become standard. And, you know, for those of us who are at least a bit environmentally conscious or, you know, I, I spend time in California where we have normally a lot of sunshine, uh, you know, being able to, you know, take electrical uh, generated power and put it into a vehicle that I drive, there's going to be an eightfold increase in electric uh, vehicle um in the fleet. Now that's still a small number, but going from say 3% up to 20 to 25%, that's a big gain. So there's a lot coming, uh, new cars, um, that's not going to go away and cars that we can still drive. So there's lots of room to hope in, in mobility. Thank you. You'll continue those on my year end prediction special. You're invited automatically. Thank you to series sponsor, Judy Kubis and Ashwin Manapali is with us in the background. Ashwin, thank you for helping me get these two brilliant people on the show today. Aaron Keller, our engineer extraordinaire at the business channel, world talk radio voice America. He calls himself my sidekick and he earned that title. Rick Varner, Bill Newman, come back anytime. This has been, I won't even say delightful. I don't want to say, but it has been, you're charming, you're engaging and wow. What a great conversation. Thank you for all your prep work as well. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and here's my call to action. It's so appropriate for the show. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? My car is getting two months to the gallon. How's your doing? Go out and be a game changer today. Have a great one. Be safe, be smart, be savvy. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to the future of mobility and manufacturing with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Tuesdays at 7 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.